and you're listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. Hey, let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians 1 today. Ephesians 1. I want to talk to you guys today about the process of spiritual maturity. How many of you are interested in maturing spiritually? Good, half of you. I believe that as Christians, you are here today, whether you have not said yes to Jesus yet, or whether you have been walking with him a long time, there is a process of spiritual maturity. Paul, in one of the epistles, he's talking and he says, listen, you're still drinking milk, but you ought to move on to meat. He's saying like, hey man, you've, you've given your life to Jesus, but you're still, how many of you know, like if you had a 15 year old who was still drinking milk, they would have a problem. You'd be like, bro, it's time. It's time. So in the church, I believe we are in a season where the Lord is maturing us. He's growing us, not just on the outside, because many times we think of maturity in terms of, oh, let's pray for the sick, or let's give prophetic words, or whatever, however you would categorize spiritual maturity. But I believe the Lord, He is building a people on the inside. Say inside. Inside. Oh man, I, I believe that this next season of the church the people that are sitting in seats are going to look much better on the inside than on the outside. They're going to walk in character, integrity, and God is building a people on the inside. It's not that we don't want to operate in power. We very much believe in miracles, signs, wonders. Why? Because the Bible says so. But, But what he's looking for is a people who can be just as powerful on the inside. That their yes is yes and their no is no. And that they are rooted and they are anchored in the promises of God. And they have learned how to sustain, how to create a heart that knows how to carry promise. We've been talking like for 10 weeks now about the promises of God. Last week we talked about this. If you draw nearer to God, he will what? Draw nearer to you. That as we we pursue God, we have to see that he is equally and even more so pursuing us. How many of you know this? You know this, if, if you have turned your heart towards God, what you begin to see in the narrative of your life is he was really the pursuer. Yeah. We, we, we make it all about our pursuit, but what we find is like the story of the prodigal son. As we turn to him, there is a father who has been waiting. It's like, it's like his desire is that as we turn, he comes to us. But in that, last week I started this like this. I asked this question, do you realize how much is available to you as a son or daughter of Christ? Like, like this kingdom, this kingdom reality, like all that is available to us because we have said yes to this is infinitely more than what has been spoken or what you have received yet. That's why in the tension, when we begin to sing songs about Jesus in the room, we very intentionally will sing songs for 45, 50 minutes because it confronts. There's something about being in an environment where we're singing about him, to him, and for him that confronts every part of who we are that is not in alignment with what we're singing. You could do it for 20 minutes. You could sit it, but there's something about an extended period of time of worship that it begins to, things begin to come up. Like, why are we still singing that song? Why, like, why, why, does it, why are we... And there's something that happens where the Holy Spirit begins to come in and he begins to work. And so some of that discomfort has nothing to do with the 25-minute song. It's the Holy Spirit aligning our hearts. The Bible's clear in heaven there's only one song. It's holy, holy, holy. 
So if you got sick of 20 minutes of here, it's all for you, it's going to be rough for you up there. And so that's why as, as the church, we've got to pivot. And we have to stop preparing people to cope with world and start preparing them to be a heavenly bride. Because we're passing through this. And I, and I want you to, I want you to excel. I want you to take ground. I want you to do all of that. But more than anything, I want to prepare you to stand before him. To prepare your heart now to, to long for him. And many people, man, if we were to be honest, I mean, if we were to take an honest assessment of our life, this, this end of time, this narrative of us going to heaven is more about us not going to hell than about it is about being with him. And listen, the Bible's clear, he would that none should perish. But the ultimate goal, the ultimate, the, the, the true narrative is not that you don't only not go to hell, but that you are yoked forevermore to him. That you live the rest of your life with Jesus and that he becomes the delight, the pursuit, like, like he's captivating. And so if, if the life of a Christian is to be pleasing to God, I want to say this, it must be properly adjusted to him in all things. Like what he's doing is this proper alignment. It's like if you went to a chiropractor and he says, well, I'm only going to adjust the upper top part of your back. You're like, bro, I need the whole thing to be adjusted. And so what he's doing, like how many of you know it's uncomfortable? If you've ever been to a chiropractor, you know when you're there, you're like, this sucks. It's painful. He's doing all kinds of demonic things. But, but when, you're, when you leave, you feel better because there's something about an adjustment that, that helps your body run the way it was always supposed to run. So, so I was thinking about this. I want to talk about being seated today. In Ephesians 1, you know he talks about being seated and, and the posture of being seated. But, but to be honest, when I first got saved, I was a drug addict, and I got saved in 2008, and I very distinctly remember having an encounter with the Holy Spirit. I remember love touching my heart, because that's what it takes, right? You're not saved unto words or a sermon. You are saved unto love and a person and a relationship. But, but I remember when I first got saved, I remember thinking, well, well what now, right? How many of you have ever been like, okay, well, what now? Like, I, I probably should stop cussing, and I probably should stop, you know, there's some adjustments that have to take place. But I remember an older gentleman coming alongside of me and saying, hey, now that you've said yes to Jesus, you got to learn to walk this thing out. And I remember those words ringing in my head. And to be honest with you, the, the first few years of my Christian life, I struggled. Because I felt like there was so much that, that had to take place in order for me to walk this thing out. And what I wish somebody would have said to me from the very beginning is sit down. Like, you've got to learn before you walk, before you run, before you go, you need to sit. And you need to come into the full realization of what was done for you on the cross. Yeah. <laughs> and so today as we, open, as we open up the scripture, what I'm praying is that our eyes would be open. I want to go there. Open up your Bibles to Ephesians 1. We'll start um, verse 16. Ephesians 1.16. It should be behind me. This is Paul praying for the church of Ephesus. And Ephesus, the church of Ephesus was in revival. I mean, if you read the, the history of the church of Ephesus, when the Holy Spirit hit that town in power, people were taking all of their belongings, their, their idols, and they were throwing them in the city center. And they were burning them. I mean, it was a complete turn 
Yet in the midst of that, Paul is writing a letter to the city and he's addressing something that I believe is pivotal for them there and for us now. So he says this, I pray for you constantly. This is Paul. Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight. Your, your, your Bible may say the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He's praying that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would hit us so that, say so that, so that you might grow in what? What are we growing in? Are we growing in prophetic giftings? Are we growing in works? Are, are, we, are we growing in our process to know how to walk this out? I, I want to make this clear. He prays that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would come and hit us as his people so that we would grow up in the knowledge of God. That the Holy Spirit would come, this is what's available for you here now today, that the Holy Spirit would come and that it would open your eyes so that you would see God in all that he is. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given those he has called his what? His struggling people. His just getting by people. I would that you would know the confident hope he has given to those he's called his holy people. Oh, there's that cuss word. Who are his riches and his glorious inheritance. Then he says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us. Do you hear this? He's praying, these people, I want to make it again. It wasn't that they were lacking. If you would have looked at Ephesus, you would have been like, yo, they got it going on. Let's go check out Ephesus because God is rocking the city. But he's saying there's still something that is available to you. Like there's still an opening up of your spirit, of your eyes, that you can realize the great power. He says this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and then seated him. Say seated him. Seated. Let's try it again. Seated him. seated him. So it raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything. I want to make it clear. The Lord is above. Not just in the book of Ephesus today. He is above. That's why when we come into rooms like this, you're like, what's the answer to the narrative, to the news? He's above. As the, as the church, we have to look up. He's above any virus. He's above any political system. He's above depression. He's above anxiety. He is above. And until we properly prescribe, until we properly give him place, like a back, things will be out of order. Not only in this world, but in the world to come. So what is he establishing? Hey, I want to open up your eyes to see what's really going on that you would grow in the spirit of wisdom and revelation. You should be praying this for yourself every day. Bro, lay hands on yourself. Boom, wisdom and revelation, come. Apart from wisdom and revelation, your Bible doesn't operate the way it's supposed to operate. It has to come. It's not just reading the book to read about a person. It is to meet a person. So in Ephesians 2, verse 4 He's speaking again and he's saying, but God is so rich in mercy. He loved us so much. Even though we were dead, you were what? Not our dead, you were dead. When you met Jesus, you were a sinner, you were dead, but you are no longer dead, you are now alive. Thank you, Desi. 
You were dead because of your sins. He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. For he raised us up from the dead along with Christ. And he what? What did he do? He raised Christ up from the dead and he seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with him. So I want you to see these two truths that that Paul is showing us. When Jesus came, he lived a sinless life. He gave his life and he atoned for sin. And before he came, we were dead in our sin. This is the gospel. God came, we broke it. Jesus came, he fixed it. And when he raised up from the dead, not only did he raise up, so did we in him. So Jesus came up and God said, here, come on. I'm seating you at the right hand of the Father to make intercession forevermore. But not only did he sit Christ at the right hand, the first thing he does with you when you give your life, and he goes, here's your position now. Now, now how, why and how is this a problem? Because the first thing we do to people when they say yes to Jesus is we go, well, now you go do. Now you go do. Now, whatever discipleship program, now you go do. Plug in, get to work. And I believe work is important. We are called to make disciples. But the issue is without being seated and knowing the one you are discipling people to, you are not discipling people to the true Christ. What we create is a perpetual cycle of religiosity where people are tired and they're burnt out and they don't, they're not connected and they feel distant. Do you understand what I'm saying? You, like you, you know you've been there. So, so I want to say to you, the Christian life does not begin with walking. It begins with sitting. It begins with, with sitting and allowing the revelation. And the truth is, sitting is a posture of trust. Why can I, why can I sit with this chair with confidence? Because I have the trust that this chair is going to hold me. There's, there's a belief in me that I can sit back and I'm going to be fine because the chair was made with the ability to hold my weight. And in our Christian life, I just want to say, to be seated is to be vulnerable because we are wired in such a way that we find validation in doing So it would be more natural for us to say, well, now that I received, I must do in order to continue to receive. But that's the issue, right? That's that's the crazy thing about Christianity is there is nothing you did to deserve this. Like ask yourself, what did you do to deserve this grace? That's why the Bible is clear that grace is a gift. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to deserve it, but he gave it. But natural reason says this, if we do not walk, how can we ever reach the goal? (laughs) Like if we don't walk, if we don't do, how can we ever attain without effort? And this is the inward struggle that we have as Christians, that we believe that Christianity is about doing and not about done. So if you don't hear anything else, and if you've already glazed over (laughs) I just want to say to you, Christianity does not begin with a really, really big do. It starts with a really, really big done. The the reason that we keep a cross in the room is so that you're consistently confronted with what was done for you. That as you're singing songs about him, we understand it's because he went to a cross and he paid the price. And I know in rooms like this, we get tired. We, We have grown cold to the truth of the cross. We're in the Bible Belt. I've heard that message. I know that truth. But that truth has to hit your heart in order for you to be activated into into being able to sit and receive love. 
We have a love deficit in the church. There's a deficit of love. And the big issue with having a deficit of love is we have been called above all else to operate in. This is the great commandment that you would love. And, and there's nothing you can do to muster up love. Love has to be received in order to be imparted, in order to be given. Or else it becomes, think about this word love. The word love in our world has been so perverted. We've lost the true essence of the word love. How can I say to my wife, I love you, and then say Taco Bell, I love Taco Bell. There's a deep, there was a deep longing at one point. It was an inward, it was deep. But, but what I'm saying is we, we've used the word love and we've lost that. That love has to originate with a lover. Like it has to be that we sit. That's why we sit. It's not that God doesn't want us to do it. It's that there's something that happens when we're seated. And we come to the realization of what was done for us. And it washes. And so I just want to say from the onset, some of the reason people don't sit is you don't think you're worthy of sitting. We're trying to work and attain and attain. And here's what, here's what, I, want, what I want to pose to you today. Whether or not you're seated in the heavenly realms or not, you are seated somewhere. You may not sit and allow the goodness of the Lord to pass before you, but you better know there's an enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he'll seat you in the seat of depression. He'll seat you in the seat of works. And he'll have you every Sunday morning coming and trying to earn something that was given. He'll, he'll put you in a seat of separation, of complacency, of apathy. And you get in rooms like this, and here's the crazy thing is nobody ever sees himself in this seat. But if we're not seated in heavenly places, you have to know we're seated somewhere. There's something that is going on on the inside of us. And what God is trying to do to his church is he's trying to reset us. That's what I felt the most last year in 2020 when I found myself on my couch. I'm like, what is going on? It was like a divine reset where the Lord, I, I know lots of people, they just, they just glazed over and watched Tiger King over and over. I, I get it. No, 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 y'all watched it. But, but for, for, for some of us in that time, the Lord confronted areas of barrenness in our life. Areas where we, we didn't even know we had become discouraged. Like, like where we stopped singing songs because it was hard for us to believe them. Where we would come to church and hear, hear things about the Lord, but our hearts had grown cold. Where we would hear messages about a lukewarm church and we would immediately think about so-and-so. Instead of allowing the Lord to cut our heart. So in Ephesians, he opens up with the statement, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing where? In the heavenly places where? In a person. Listen to this. Christ has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. In order for you to step into all God has for you, you have to see, let's just remove, I'm not, I'm not saying like physically you need to sit down. I'm saying you need to see yourself seated in heavenly places. You need to see yourself washed, cleansed, redeemed, recovered, restored, and then from there. Are you, with, are you alive? It's like, oof. If we don't start there, everything gets messy. 
Everything gets tiresome. And I know it sounds basic, but for some of us, some of the most basic things are some of the most difficult things. And in the midst of all the, we are the most godly, we have more podcasts and worship music and sermons than ever before. Yet in the midst of all of that, we are some of the most confused and Christianity is some of the most complicated that it's ever been. It's like we don't know which way is which, which way to go. And in the midst of all of that, God is saying, I just want to simplify. And that's the issue. Walking implies effort. It implies when I stand, the effort for my standing is on me. It's on my knees. It's on my ankles. It takes effort. It's on me to stand. But when I sit, it shifts the responsibility, the effort off of me and onto the chair. Can you see that? Can you understand that what God is wanting to do is he's wanting to shift the effort. I know it sounds basic, but listen, many of us, we're so disconnected from our hearts, from our heads, that we're trying to work and we're tired. We come into rooms and it's like, I just feel tired. And it's because you're working and working and working and God's like, sit down. Will you let me bless you? Will you let me love you? Will you let me into those places? Last week I was talking about knocking. Do you remember? Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. And then in Revelation 3 there was a church where it says, I stand at the door and I knock. And we posed the question, if Jesus is on the outside of the church knocking, trying to get in, then what's going on on the inside? There was a season in my life where I felt like I was doing the Matthew 7 thing. I was asking I was seeking, I was knocking, yet nothing was happening. How many have been there? We'll do a repentance call at the end here. Thank you, Marcus, my man. It was a season where it was like, God, I'm fasting, I'm praying, I'm seeking, I'm dedicated, I've given, I've sown, I've sacrificed, all of it. Yet I felt like I hear nothing, I see nothing, I'm receiving nothing. I'm like, did I miss something? Like, did I miss something? And in the midst of that, the Lord showed me. I had a vision. This was like five years ago. And he showed me that the issue was that on the other side of the knocking, he wasn't there. I was knocking, but what I perceived and what I was longing on the other side of the door was not him. It was things that I could receive from him. It was ministry. It was status. It was secure. It was all of these things. And what he was showing me was, listen, until I become only, like until you realize that I have become a means to an end and not the end. Oh, not you, right? Not us. We're in the Bible Belt. We're all Christians. But there are times in our life where if we really evaluate what's going on, God has become more of a sugar daddy than a Lord. I know nobody's talked to you like this in a long time. But what I'm saying is, when he establishes lordship again, this is not a condemnation thing. It's an invitation. When he establishes lordship again, everything begins to flow in proper order. Everything begins to flow the way. And so for, for us, we begin our Christian life by depending not upon our own doing, but upon what he had done. It's not about what you do or even about what he's going to do. It's about what he did. Are you hearing me? So until we get here, for I can do nothing to save myself but by his grace, until we get to that place of dependence, we cannot begin to stand or to walk. 
There is a progression. We sit, we stand, and we walk. But many of us, we started walking and we started doing. So, so this is how it happens in most Christians' life. We begin to walk and the enemy attacks and then we, oh, now we stand. Take your stand, brother. Gird up your loins. And the issue with that is you end up sitting, but you're beaten. And you're wounded. And you're discouraged because you reverse the order. We use this all the time. In Christianity, we think that this is ready, set, go. This is not the way Christianity works. In Christianity, you go, he will make you set, and then you will be ready. You see, everything is backwards. It begins with trust, utter dependence on him. Utter dependence. I just feel this. Utter dependence upon him. In every area of your life, that everything would flow to him and for him and from him. And you will begin to see a divine flow and a divine order. I'm telling you, I'm begging you, if you were to just look at your life and reorder the structure of your life, you will stop being tired all the time. You'll stop feeling like, man, if I could only, if I could only, and you're sitting in the seat of condemnation and of shame and of guilt, and you're tired, I'm telling you, like, let's just change seats. Like, for some of you, it might just be really good for this next week to take 10 minutes and just sit. Turn on soaking music and be like, God, I don't know what I'm doing here. I've been there. I don't know what I'm doing here, but I'm here. And we started praying prayers like, Lord, I just need you to teach me how to love you. I've said this before, man. When I first got, got with my wife, the first thing I said to her is, listen, I don't say the word love and I'm, I suck at commitment. That's the first thing I said to her. I'm not good at the commitment thing and I don't say the L-U-V-E word, you know, L-O-V-E. I didn't even know how to spell it. It was that bad. It was that bad. But there was something that happened within, within the relationship that it was like two weeks, and I'm like, I love you. <laughs> because there's something that just happens when there's proximity. That just dismantles and it destroys all of, the, all of the mixture and the mess and the dysfunction. There's something about proximity that just, I mean, in my heart, I believed it. That's why I said it to her. I got to let you know on the outset, I got a bunch of dysfunction, girl. But there was something about the proximity and the love in the midst of that, that it broke down all of those walls. And for some of us, man, we're working and we're trying. I'm saying to you that if you, if you were to see yourself one with him, if you were to understand, like, I'm not going to move until I really understand that I am one with him and I know who I am in him. My son was doing, my son was doing, I was doing his hair this morning. He's got a nice little comb over. He's seven. And he's looking at himself in the mirror. This was this morning. And he's looking at himself. And then he, he goes from this side to this side. And then he goes, Daddy, I look good. I'm like, get it, boy. I'm like, yeah, you do, man. Guy. You. I'm just saying, like, I wish that we would encounter more Christians that really understood who they were. Not because of what Gio told you during a sermon, but they have, re re they have received the spirit of wisdom and revelation as they have been seated. They have received divine-like identity from God, where it doesn't matter what opposition comes, it doesn't matter what people say. I believe, I believe this was the beauty of the person of David. We talk about David, David's one of the our favorite Bible characters here. And many times when we talk about David and the greatness of David, we talk about Goliath. 
he slayed giants, and he did. But, but the greatest testimony of David is David established day and night worship, 24-7 day and night worship, and the beauty of David was his legacy. It was that he passed on to Solomon, his son, and when Solomon was, that was his son, the nation prospered so much that they didn't even know what to do with money. They just threw it on the side of the road. There was such prosperity. It is said that David spent over a billion dollars of his own money creating day and night worship. What was he doing? He was teaching people to sit and to look at Jesus. They conquered nations. They took ground. They did all that. But I want to, I would submit to you that they did it from a place of understanding this is who we are as a people. We will day, morning, that's why we sang it today, morning, noon, and night, we will sing about him, to him, and we do it for him. And from this place, we'll take territory. Some of you in this room, you have a mandate. You feel called to take territory, to be aggressive, but I want to say, sit and allow God to deposit into you. Some of you are tired. You came, you're like, I just, I, I just, I just, I just showed up. Like, I don't know what the answer is. Sit. Allow God to speak to you. Stop searching for another prophetic word. Allow him to speak to your heart. To break the hardness. I feel better. So I saw, I saw this this week. I was in the prayer room here on Tuesday morning. And as we were praying, I had, I had like this vision of where I was, I was taken up. Um, and I, I saw like, the, it was like the U.S. And then I came back down and, and I, I understood that it was the Lord, right? You understand the Lord, it says he's looking. The Lord is looking. And I don't believe he's looking in a condemning way. I really don't. I believe he's looking for a people that are making themselves ready. But in the midst of that, I saw like we zeroed back in on the prayer room, which was on Tuesday morning here from 9 to 11, shameless plug. And as he looked down, I was like, man, I wonder what, what he's looking at. And in the room, all I saw were people sitting with their Bibles open, waiting on him. There wasn't a bunch, there wasn't a bunch of activity. There wasn't, a bu- there wasn't a bunch going on. All I saw was the Lord was zeroed in on a people with their Bibles open saying, God, I'm here. I'm available. Speak to me. And I think sometimes in the church, we have this image of what God is looking for. So we would look at somebody like Daniel Kalenda who stands in front of millions of people and he begins to preach the gospel and say, man, he's got it going on. He's figured it out. And he really knows what it looks like to be, to be a follower of Jesus. And I believe that he does. And I believe he's, he's anointed for that. But I believe what the Lord is looking for is a people who would be willing and available for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to come. Listen, this, this is what we long for as a people. The Bible says this, my sheep, they hear my voice. If you have given your life to him, he, he is the shepherd. That scripture is not tying you to a, to a minister. It's like, I'm not the great shepherd. You're not discipled. You're not my sheep. You're his sheep. And he's trying to disciple the people to hear his voice, to follow him, and to trust him. But it has to start from a place of sitting. It has to start from a place of learning to receive. From a place of, of, of connecting ourselves heart to heart. 
and seeing ourselves in him. Allowing ourselves to realize that because he died, so did we. Like if you were made a new creation, then why do we struggle with so much old stuff? I know this is something we wrestle with in the church, but something happened to me when I, when I really came to the realization is I'm dead to that. There were certain things that were generational in my family line. There was sexual perversion. There was infidelity. There was a whole lot. But once I had the revelation in my, in my heart that I am dead to that and Christ has made me new, that crap ended in my generation. It did not pass on to Judah. And it will not pass on from Judah to the next. And that's a revelation that comes as we are seated with him in heavenly places. And here's what I want to say. You have to make a decision today because the Lord will let you fight your own battles. I've learned this about the Lord. Either you will let him fight your battles or you will fight them for yourself. There's something about when you're facing opposition, allowing the Lord to fight your battles for you. And we've become such a people that we feel like we have to defend everything. I just want to say, man, there's mixture. There are things that we are fighting for within the church that is not the Lord's battle. See how it gets quiet? And it comes from a place of us being seated before the wrong things. It's leaven. And as we go back to sitting before the Lord, what he does is he purifies the motives. And what you find is he makes it all about him again. He makes it all about him again. You fall back in love with him. Your heart becomes gripped. Some of us, man, we never even knew what it really meant to fall in love with Jesus. We were taught to fall in love with a Sunday morning service. And those two things are very different. You can fall in love with a pastor, and you can fall in love with worship and a Sunday morning expression, but that does not necessarily lead to falling in love with Jesus. Did you hear what I just said? And sometimes it requires us realizing our barrenness and our utter dependence on him to be drawn back into the place of intimacy. And isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we want? I want to land here. I want to go to Luke 14. Luke 14, there's something super interesting that I was reading this week, and it just struck me. There's a parable there. It's the parable of the great feast. Hey, Cubby, you can come up, bro, please. Luke, Luke 14, verse 15, it says, Hearing this, a man was seated at, he was seating, sitting at a table. And Jesus said, What a blessing it is, it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom. And Jesus replied with this story, A man prepared a great feast, and he sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, Come on, the banquet is ready. So, so the, there's an invitation from Jesus. Hey, everything's ready for you. Just come. 
Everything's ready for you. Just come. And he says, as they heard the invitation, they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another one said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another one said, I now have a wife so I can't come. So the servant returned and told his master what they said and his master was furious and he said go quickly into the streets and the alleys and the towns and invite the poor the crippled the blind the lame and after the servant had done this he reported there's still room for more so the master says go out into the country lanes and the hedges urge anyone you will find to come so the house will be full and as I was reading that parable this week I was just struck by the reality that there was an invitation that Jesus had prepared a feast for a people. Think about this. It's a banquet prepared by Jesus. There ain't no better banquet. I don't care what you see on Insta. There ain't no banquet like this, a banquet. There ain't no banquet like this. You ain't finding it on Pinterest. It ain't there. It's the Lord's banquet. And in the midst of the invitation, they're too busy to be seated at the table. To me, the banquet beckons every single one of us in this room to ask ourselves, have we been too busy to be seated at the Lord's table? Like the things that they were busy with were not sin things. You understand that, right? It's not like, I'm just going to go to the club. I don't got time for all that. Wasn't that? It's like, hey man, I just, I just, I have oxen, which probably would represent I got work to do. I got married, man, I got married, I got relational. God said family first. And what, I, what I'm saying to you is, if we're not careful, there's always an excuse for us not to come to the table. There's always something. It's like the, the more years that go by, the busier things get. Like we've, we've become indoctrinated by thinking that busyness equals significance. The busier I am, the more significant I am. And it's barrenness. It leads to nothing. And what I'm hearing from the Lord this morning is an invitation for every single one of us. Will you come? Will you come to the table? Man, you've been feasting and you've been eating from Facebook and Instagram and CNN and work and bosses. If, like what you got to know is they're all setting tables before you. And they're all saying, come to my table. Like, hey, I got something for you. But in the midst of that, what we have to see is there's an invitation from the Lord where we come. And He seats us. And His food becomes true food. And his drink becomes true drink. And in this place, we find everything we've ever been longing for. How many of you can attest to that? At his table, we find everything. I'm having these conversations with my son now, man. The tooth fairy brought him $5. Because the tooth fairy don't bring $1 anymore. It got expensive. I'm like, bro, you got to stop losing teeth. The tooth fairy's broke. Tooth Fairy gave him $10 at Willow's house and now he thinks it's like, don't roll that way at my house. 
but he got five dollars and immediately he started talking about the money and he was making a big deal about the money i said man jude i want to say to you money is important but it's not important money's a tool but we can't grow you see like nobody taught him that we're just wired that way and the only thing that breaks that down is not you need to be better you, your love for it doesn't work bro it doesn't work it's sitting at the table of the lord and allowing his goodness to touch us where we let go i've learned through i don't even know how long it's been 13 years of ministry that as, as a pastor i can't rip things out of people's hands they'll rip it back out it has to be a fresh surrender it's what they were singing about pastor marcus said it has to be you realize that everything you have is worth giving up in pursuit of that pearl in pursuit of that great treasure and it's not that the lord's going to take it away it's you give it to him he purifies it and he gives it back because <laughs> he's it's who he is he's a giver so let's stand please I want to end by posing a truth to you. In the Bible, there's, there's a principle called the law first mentioned. Meaning the time something is first mentioned, it sets the precedence for what that thing is supposed to be. It sets the original, the true standard. So in the Bible, in the very beginning, we see that God created. How many of you know He created? For six days, He created. The heavens, the earth, the moon, the stars, He created. And then on the sixth day, he created man. Are we all on, on the same page? It really happened. He created man. So for six days, he created. And then on the seventh day, he established the what? The Sabbath. And so for six days, God worked. And on the seventh day, he rested. But what I want to show you here is God could have created man at any time. He could have created man on God on day three and said, hey, yo, for the next three days, we're going to build together. But he didn't. Think about this. Instead, he said, on the sixth day, I will cease from my own strength and they will be birthed into a day of rest. Think about this. It's the first thing he invited you into. He did not invite you. He did not create you and invite us as a people into works. He created us and he says, here's what I want you to do. Now rest. And from that place of rest, we will cultivate the ground. We will be multiplied, be fruitful, amen, and multiply. But I want us to see that it starts with rest. It starts with trust. It starts with that posture. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for us this morning. And I want us to be honest and just ask the Lord, Lord, would you show me any place in my life where I'm not operating from a place of rest? Father, right now, in Jesus' name, I pray for every person in this room, God. Father, I pray like Paul prayed that the spirit of wisdom and revelation 
would touch their hearts and show them how they can truly be seated with you in heavenly places. How they can receive truth, grace, mercy. But it starts from a place of being seated. closed, I do want to pray for something specific this morning. As I was preparing this sermon, I just, I felt the Lord say, man, I want to give my people rest. And if you're in this room this morning, whether this is your first time or you've been here for four years, we believe that you are a spiritual family. So I want to say, if you're in this room today, you're like, man, I just feel tired. My spirit feels tired. I feel confused, distant. And I just need the Lord to touch me. Would you just raise a hand right now across the room? All across the room. Anyone else? Yeah, it's fine. Anyone else? Just a few minutes. Because we're going to pray for just a moment. I'm not going to ask you to get out of your seat. 